0: Hello and welcome to episode fifty of the CogniCast. Hard to believe we've hit the big five-zero, but here we are. Um, I'd like to start off with, uh, on a bit of a sad note, uh, we just want to note the passing of Jim Wyrick, who was a friend of the uh, of many people at Cognitech and a great guy. I mean, if you just Google his name, you can see the impact that he had on our community. Um, it's really we just talked about him on the last episode. Just really sad news that he passed away, but. I want to make sure I call it out and to dedicate this episode to him. In happier news, um, Closure West is right around the corner. Uh, The speakers and the schedule are online. You can find those and more at closurewest.org. We've also got some training sessions coming up. We'll be offering Intro to Closure, Closure Script, and Datomic. That's three different courses uh, before Closure West in San Francisco. And again, closurewest.org has details on the classes. Um, We also just announced that Stuart Sierra will be teaching Intro to Datomic and Intro to Closure Script in Durham on April 29th and 30th. That's 2014, of course. Um, Tickets are available through Eventbrite. You shouldn't have any trouble finding that. Um, All the registration details will be in the show notes. So I think that covers it as far as announcements. We will go on to episode 50. Thanks for listening.
1: You're making me blue But I'm alone without you Fill my heart and fill my soul with tenderness Music fill my loneliness Ready.
0: Yes. I'm ready. All right. I believe I'm ready. Cool. Well, we'll kick it off then. All right, everybody, welcome. Today is Friday, January 10th, 2014, and this is the Cognicast. Today, we are very fortunate to have not one but two special guests. We have Luke Vanderhart. Welcome, Luke. Hello. And. Ryan Neufeld. Welcome, Ryan. Hey there. So Luke and Ryan are both colleagues of mine. They are both cognitects. And uh, they are on the show today to talk about, uh, but we'll get to that in a second. First, we're going to have Ryan. We decided beforehand that Ryan would pick the intro Mm -hmm. song. So what was our intro song going on here?
2: It is a song called Music by F.R. David on the
0: Late Night Tales Roixop album. Okay, uh, can you give me, so since I'm not hearing this right now, I post process <laughs> it in, what, what type of, or what, I mean, you know, genre is a bit constraining, but how would you describe the music? Um, it is a mellow electronic
2: remix of uh, Rugsop's familiar sound. Late Night Tales are interesting albums. They're always uh, tend to be remixes of an artist as a tribute to them.
0: Hmm. Cool. Well, that's awesome. I haven't heard it, so I look forward to listening to it. Um, excellent. Well, of course, we'll give Luke his turn on the uh, at the other end of the show. But mm-hmm. uh, in between, we have many, many interesting things to talk about. Um, and the, the the main one, I actually, have, I've had it in mind that uh, you know both you guys sh- should be on the show uh, for various reasons in the past hasn't happened yet. But there's an excellent reason to delay no longer, which is that uh, you are the co-authors, editors of the closure cookbook, which is um, – actually, why don't you guys describe for our listeners what it is, when it's due out, and your role in, in the creation of that book. Go ahead, Luke.
1: Sure. So, Closure Cookbook is um, – I mean, I'm sure many of you are familiar with uh, O'Reilly's cookbook series, which is essentially uh, programming books that are focused around the idea of recipes, which you're presented with a specific problem Uh, It gives some example code that is a specific solution to that problem and then a discussion section. So much more example oriented than your typical programming book, Um, but very useful. It's a very popular series and uh, we are working with O'Reilly to produce the Clojure cookbook. Um, So what we did is uh, we actually solicited community input. So we are half authors, half editors. I don't remember what the final figures are, but we wrote a bunch. Pretty even split. Yeah, pretty even split, but um, we wrote... Approximately half the book, and approximately half was contributed by I think over sixty community members.
0: Correct.
1: So, uh, yeah, they contributed. We edited. We compiled. Um, we uh, built it on GitHub using pull requests. Um, the book is under a Apache Creative Commons license, or not Apache, but it's Creative Commons, and uh, so it's freely redistributable on um, commercial way. O'Reilly was kind enough to let us distribute in that way. Uh, or, of course, you can also buy it in ebook or physical form from O'Reilly. Uh, you can buy it under their early access program now. Um, and it will be published in dead tree format uh, towards the end of February. End of March. The end of March. That's yeah. right. <laughs> it goes to production the end of February. I
0: know there's <laughs> always a big gap for authors between the moment when they kind of stop working on it and the point where the, the, the book shows up.
1: <laughs> that's right. It's already done as far as we're concerned, just about. <laughs> um,
0: uh, so, yeah, so this, this is an idea that I, I will admit when, when the two of you said, hey, we're writing this thing called a cookbook. We're going to get community support. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> um and then you did the work anyway. Fortunately you didn't listen to me, which is usually a good idea, but doubly so in this case. And you were, you know, pointing out to people at, I guess what was relevance then, oh you should check out where it's at. And I went and looked and I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> like there is awesome stuff in here. I mean, I just I wonder if you could and maybe we'll throw it to Ryan, give us a sense of um, both broadly, what sorts of topics are covered, and then maybe um, one of you could zoom in and say and describe for people what one of the recipes—I guess you call them recipes—would would look like. So, so Ryan, mm-hmm. what's the, like, what's in this book? So we
2: take a, a pretty broad stroke. We go all the way from primitive data types like strings, numbers, all the way through databases, distributed computing. Um, building a GUI application um, all the way, the full, the full gamut of things you could do with Clojure.
0: Right, and so there's, um, how, I mean, how many recipes are there in total? I don't have the exact
2: number. I think it is in the neighborhood of 100 to 200.
0: Okay, and so then when I open up the book and I take a look at a recipe, this is actually one of the things I really liked when I went to look at it, is that it's, it's got a fairly um, specific format. So, like, what do I see?
2: Yeah, so you open up a recipe and every recipe is made up of a few parts. A problem description that describes the kind of problem that you'd be facing if you wanted to read this recipe, a rather succinct solution that uh, minimally guides you to getting to the end that you would like to achieve, and then a lengthier discussion that digs into specifics of why things were done a certain way, what nuances you have to look out for, and if there are any alternatives you might want to consider if you have different needs. Okay. Um, and then there are cross references to any other recipes
1: that you should take a look at. Luke, you're going to add something. Oh, just um, yeah. There's a, a large variety of how specific the recipes get. On uh, one end of the spectrum, you have really um, kind of simple things. So in the um, composite data section, you have a section like you know how do you combine two maps? That's the recipe. The problem is you want to merge two maps, and there's the answer is of course use the built-in Closure merge function, and then the recipe talks a little bit about you know merge with, having a function that can do the keys. On the other end of the spectrum, we have um, some really general stuff. Um, Michael Fogus wrote a great recipe on doing crazy stuff with macros. and So there is a specific problem solution, but the discussion is much more open-ended. So while everything's in the same format, there is a range of types of people who will be interested. I think there's something in the book for everyone. Uh, that's our hope anyway.
0: Is there any kind of um, narrative to the book? Like would I pick it up and begin at the beginning and and then go straight through or would I just jump around to whatever or could I do either? I mean, how does that, how does the narrative aspect of the book work out?
2: I think you would want to read the introduction uh, of the entire book, which is maybe four or five pages to get a feel for how things are going to go, how our examples are set up. Um, Pretty much everything we've written, we've tried very, very hard to make it something you could type at the REPL and follow along. And then from there, you might want to read a chapter introduction, but all of the recipes should be self-contained uh, in and of, in and of themselves.
1: Yeah, I, I really don't recommend reading through it <laughs> in one pass, unless you're a pretty boring person. I mean, I read the encyclopedia <laughs> when I was a kid, so somebody like me w- might want to read through the whole thing, but uh, you've got to have a lot of time on your hands um, to just plow through the thing straight.
0: <laughs> How big is it? I mean, is it, I mean the, when I saw the recipes, they were very digestible. Like it was the work of just a few minutes to read. I, and I only looked at a few. It was the work of a few minutes to sit down and read one recipe. Are they mm-hmm. generally bite-sized or are they,
2: do they recipes vary? Recipes ranging in size from about uh, half a page up to maybe five or six pages. There's, uh, there's definitely a couple recipes that are quite large, including Focus's, uh
1: API deprecations recipe right um, yeah that I'd say that there's only some that are that large. you know the 90th percentile of recipe is probably under two pages. Um, so yeah, we try to keep it very digestible um, <laughs> so the goal, yeah the goal of the book is to read a problem, understand it, implement a solution, and get back to work. Um, of course, we have a few recipes that branch out a little more, get a little more conceptual. Uh, while staying in the recipe format, but really the whole goal of O'Reilly's series, um, the cookbook series, is to problem, solution, get back to work. So we try to stay in that format um, for individual recipes. If it takes you longer than an hour to read and write all the code and understand all the code for a recipe, um, then I think we failed somewhat. the other aspect of what you asked, Craig, was about total scope. And so the book is um, about 200 recipes, about uh, 450 pages long. That's
2: the projected page count at the end, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, is, is it targeted at any specific um, sort of programmer? I mean, you know, experienced, beginner. I, I mean, is there? did, did you guys have uh, like a, a particular
1: type uh, or what's the word I'm
0: looking for? Uh, Persona? Yeah, in
1: mind. Luke? Yeah, so we are definitely targeting somebody who already knows some closure. You are not going to be able to pick up this book not knowing any closure and make great progress. Uh, maybe you could do some if you already knew another Lisp very well. Uh, this is more targeted at the next step after one of the introductory closure books. There's now, I think, five intro to closure books out there that walk through the language and teach you all the language features. But that doesn't always answer the question. Well, now I want to do something real. <laughs> um, I want to go, you know, write a web service. I want to go read a file and parse the CSV and uh, you know, operate over every line of a file, or display something on the screen, or play a sound. And uh, this book is intended to kind of bootstrap you into those kind of tasks. Of course, it's a finite book. We can't have every task that you might ever want to do, but hopefully by induction after reading a couple of recipes, you'll quickly learn how to take knowledge about the raw syntax and features of the language and move that into accomplishing actual tasks. So yeah, to peg our user persona, I'd say it's a beginner to intermediate closure developer. Yeah. Uh, well, as I said, I think even advanced closure developers uh, will find something in here of interest to them. Certainly uh, while we were writing the book and we were uh, accepting user submissions i learned a lot <laughs> oh man yeah
2: I, I think some of the more interesting recipes i wrote were the ones where i felt that even an advanced uh, closure user could learn something
0: I, I wonder if you guys could each give maybe one example of some recipe that was your favorite either because you learned something or because it was particularly well written just uh, maybe i'll start with ryan
2: Yeah, my absolute favorite uh, recipes were uh, two recipes submitted by uh, Leonardo Borgé, I think is his name, and he submitted um, a recipe based on some blog posts he was doing. I asked them to do it specifically, and it was on implementing a custom data type in Clojure. And uh, he implemented a red-black tree using Core Match. And um, and the second part of that recipe, he actually made it participate in the sequence abstraction. And I really didn't know how that worked under the hood. And going through and editing it and making some tweaks to the implementation, I, I got so much out of that experience. I, I'm really grateful to have worked on that recipe. Hmm.
1: Luke? Yeah, so my favorite recipe to read and edit was uh, paralyzing file processing with reducers, which was submitted by Edmund Jackson. Uh, so you may have heard of the reducers library for Closure. essentially lets you um, operate uh, perform concurrent operations that are very efficient by leveraging the internal structure of the data you're operating over. Um, and it turns out that there's a library called IOTA that you can actually use to memory map a file and then extremely efficiently process that file in parallel, which I found to be very interesting. Uh, I hadn't done it before, and it's actually surprisingly easy to do. So uh, I thought that was a great example of you know an interesting thing out there that not everyone may know exists that... After reading this recipe, now I understand it. And that's really my hope for everyone uh, yeah. reading the book because you'd find some stuff in there like that.
2: One of the fun things about editing it was to to edit any given recipe, you, you had to dig into some extent to actually understand what the recipe was doing, you know, just to make sure if it was factually correct and then to make sure that there was a, a good narrative throughout the recipe. So, you know, you basically had to understand the recipe to, to edit it for final inclusion.
0: So would you guys say that you both um... – leveled up a bit, I mean, or maybe a lot in the process of creating the book? Absolutely. I, I think um, I was just cutting
2: my teeth with Clojure when I started writing the book, and I was, I was really, uh, I had my doubts about if I could do it. And and as they say, um, you know, one of the best ways to learn something new is to write a book about it. And uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I've come out on the other end with uh, a totally different understanding of how closure works.
1: Yeah, I had an interesting, I also felt I leveled up a lot, but for me, it was much more breadth um, than depth. I, I don't feel that the book may be particularly deeper um, in you know the core areas of Clojure, but it did expose me to a lot more things that people are using Clojure for than I uh, have personally used um, on projects so far. So that was very good for me is just get a lot more breadth of experience and closure knowledge. I feel like my toolbox grew substantially after writing the book.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things about doing the podcast is people are constantly coming on and saying, I built X. I you mean, know, we have them on because they built X. And then they also talk about the five other things they did and I'm like, blah, that's five more things I need to look into so I know exactly what you mean about <laughs> Brett, there's so much cool stuff out there and that's even ignoring just like all the stuff that you can already take advantage of in uh, Java or JavaScript just, you know, through Clojure. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit about the genesis, like what led you to decide to do this, and how was it getting started, and were there any kind of obstacles as you as you went along? Like how did how did it, how did the process itself go?
1: So uh, the book started, I guess, when I got the idea for it. Um, uh, it'd be the year before last now, I guess, so was towards the end of uh, 2011, and um, the early part of uh, 2012, just. Um, thinking about the documentation that was out there in a the closure space and one thing that we were hearing people say over and over again with Clojure is the lack of intermediate level examples. There's a lot of books on how to get started. There's a lot of tutorials. Here's how to write a function. Here's how to write the Fibonacci sequence. But not a lot that would help lift you from that to writing actual applications. And that's kind of a hard problem because to write an actual application you have to actually demonstrate a full application which is a lot of work, and everyone has a different problem domain, so you can't write an application in every problem domain. Um, But I've always enjoyed O'Reilly's cookbook series, and it does very much solve a piece of that problem. Um, It isn't the full application examples, but it is specific real-world tasks, and usually by putting together enough of these specific tasks, um, you can get kind of a sense of how to develop a larger application. So uh, it felt like a book like this would... Occupy that space in the closure material available out there. Uh, fortunately, uh, after writing a uh, closure script up and running book with Stuart Sierra, um, we did have uh, contacted O'Reilly, our editor Megan Blanchette, uh, and she uh, talked to her about the book, and she was excited about the idea. And talked to a few different uh, people at Relevance now Cognitech uh, about you know what it might be, what it might involve. Um, talked with Ryan about it. He agreed to. Jump on as a co-author and co-editor, and we went from there.
2: So, and then the year-long journey of, of <laughs> writing it and right. collecting contributions. Yeah.
0: So, what was that like? I mean, where Ryan? Did you? I don't think I, I know. Luke had mentioned that he'd written a book before. Was this your first book?
2: This yes, this was my first book.
0: What was it? Was it hard? Oh yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm I'm actually writing the acknowledgments right now, and uh, it. You know, you, you don't really realize how much time it's going to take. Um, Just I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours um, working on it, and uh, writing is very difficult. I I definitely feel like I'm a much better writer coming out of it, but uh, writer's block is real.
1: Yeah. One other thing that surprised us writing the book was, or Soliciting contributions rather was uh, one of the ideas was to open it up to the community and initially we had two reasons for doing this. One is to involve the community and get a bigger breadth of ideas than we would have just coming from our Inherently limited experiences uh, and other was well. We can actually get more content and people can help out to write the book And it'll be you know a shared burden is easier Turns out the first of those reasons was a really good reason. It was good to involve the community The second reason didn't actually save us a ton of work by the time you um, You know put out the infrastructure for accepting contributions and provide all the documentation we need on how to do that effectively And then get the recipes and edit them and dialogue with the original writers to you um, you know ensure a good consistent quality um, there was a lot of effort associated with that so yeah um i, I think i'm glad that we uh, did open it up to the community um but definitely that was a, a large part of the effort and process and that's something ryan did a great job out is
2: yeah that was management a lot of fun
1: feedbacks. <laughs> the
2: uh so so what we did was in in the middle of the summer when i was on vacation back home to, oh, on a working vacation back home to canada um we set up this gigantic pledge drive. I reached out to over a hundred of the most prominent closureists I could find asking if they could help us write the book. Um, more than half of them said yes. And we start, I started a weekly process where I uh, basically nagged people for specific recipes we wanted from them. Um, we ended up getting something on the order of 25 recipes per week for almost eight weeks. And, and just running that program took about 20 to 40 hours a week of time.
0: My <laughs> and uh, it
2: was in, intensely rewarding uh, in what sense um, I know so many more closures now, um, mm. just reflecting on the difference between this closure conge and the last one uh, it's an entirely different experience for me. I was uh, the bright eyed kid going up and introducing myself to people at the first closure conge uh, that I attended two years ago, and this last one um, some People I barely know came up and gave me hugs. Um, all almost all of the other people who have authored closure books uh, came up and struck co- struck up conversations with me. Uh, it definitely has been a very good thing um, to kind of establish a position in the
0: community and, and get my name out there. That's really cool. Um, so I think this question kind of answers itself then already, which is would you would you do it? Would you collectively the two of you do it again?
1: I'm give not going to say no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there um,
0: it is. Not right now. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I tend to do this cycle with larger projects. I undertake a large project because I want to do something interesting and it's a lot of work and I swear to myself, I'm going to give myself some time off from large projects. But then sooner or later, something really interesting comes along and I end up committing to it again. <laughs> so uh, I have no indication that that cycle is going to stop here.
2: I think I think if I had been doing this on, on my own without a... Uh, a contract to a publisher or the commitment I'd made to to a hundred plus some odd people. Uh, I think I probably would have stopped doing it at some point because it it was a lot of work,
1: but I think the result is worth it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I, like I said, I've, I've seen the kind of the, um, a a little taste of it. And I'm, I'm certainly looking, I, I need to just sit down and, um, you know, page through it, dive into those recipes, uh, that, uh, that catch my eye or, or maybe even go through the whole thing. But, um, I, I guess another question that would fall along the same lines is if you did do it again,
1: what would you do differently? I think, um, I would still solicit community contributions. I think we would try to do that over a longer period of time. Um, the Let's way start earlier, right. The way it worked out is, um, the whole process for writing the book, um, took a year, but a lot of the early months were planning and structuring, and um, I think I'd like to make it more of a sustainable long-term process as opposed to, okay, now we have to get all the contributions in, and now we have to go write all the content that didn't get contributed. Uh, We kind of worked in a very bursty way on this book, so I think just a more stable long-term development, aggregation, and writing process uh, would have resulted in more content with less stress for us. Um, yeah,
2: I, I think the practice um, editorialized, maybe that's not the word, being an editor to people's contributions, um, getting better at that would have made a lot of the early stuff a lot easier. And uh, I feel like I know a lot better now what kinds of things I, I should have pushed back on in people's recipes earlier since um, when we did a pass over all the recipes, you know, there would be themes of things that needed adjustment.
1: Right. Which is not to say that I'm not extremely happy with the way the book turned out. I think we just mm-hmm. learned the hard way <laughs> in those last few weeks before delivery, in some ways, uh, put in a lot of editing work uh, that could have been alleviated if we'd.
2: Yeah, I think done we were really down out. to, there was something like we had uh, like 200 tasks in our, our board left, like they would be review something, and they could be a five minute task or a four hour task. And we were up to, we had to do 10 tasks a week, <laughs> which was, it was a very
0: hectic uh, month and a half. Um. The, now, obviously, you got, you know, thinking about the numbers you mentioned, you've got a lot more contributions than you were ultimately able to use. Uh, and, you know, we talked about the fact that there's a lot out there. Um, <laughs> and I know this is a question kind of akin to, hey, I know you've not even published the book yet, but what what's the next one going to be? And you're like, oh, I'm just so tired. But have you given any thought to, like, what... Because I could imagine, for example, i mean, I think you know your decision to uh, publish it under O'Reilly makes a, a lot of sense and 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 provides a lot of value, but I could see saying, okay, well, the content's open, let's just see the wiki and and then maybe have some editorial process. but
2: I, I think we've been considering doing something like that. Um, I mean we've been busy with writing the book and and with a bit of time away from it i I hope that the that we can kind of grow it into a website where people can add to it. And, you know, obviously some people are going to go through the book and see something that's missing, um, want to contribute an idea and, and see that be somewhere. And, you know, a second edition might be years away. But uh, if we had an online resource, you could definitely, it could be an additive right. resource.
1: I mean, that was always a goal of the project to, sure, it would be published in book form, but the book would be a snapshot of a high quality subset of its current evolution. The vision for the, Cookbook is much bigger than the printed book that you'll buy and set it on your desk and use as a monitor stand in five years. Um, <laughs> uh, it is, you know, that's why we wanted to involve the community. It is a corpus of work that a lot of different people have put work into. There's a lot of high quality information in there, and there's nothing that says that that has to be a closed set. Um, yeah,
2: for for example, um, we didn't have the time to do closure script justice in the book, so we have some. Some of those recipes sitting like we didn't delete them they're just on a branch waiting to come back into the resource once once the manuscript ships to print
1: exactly hmm. and whether that ends up being you know a future iteration of the closure cookbook ends up including closure script or whether we spin off a closure script cookbook uh, we haven't decided yet but one of those two things will almost certainly happen
0: <laughs> that's super cool and uh i have a little thing i've been working on that might help out with that that uh I'm not quite ready to talk about uh, extensively on the show, but we should we should the three of us talk afterwards. Uh, Does it write books for you? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, I mean that I have done some work on um, Markov chains. That would be you know one approach you could take. I don't think it would be to the level of quality of the sort of thing that O'Reilly would be interested in. But that'd be one approach. I it's love not
2: Markov that. chains. They're it's, so funny.
0: They are fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've been passing around that link for uh, King James Programming. which uh, King James Programming is so funny. Really amazing. We will drop a link to that in the show notes. Enough said for now, though. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, um, yeah, okay. So, I, I guess um, I-, I-, I certainly want to have you guys on to talk about the book. And I think there's more things we could say there. But I also don't want to miss the opportunity since I have the two of you here to discuss some of the other interesting things you've done, I mean, off the top of my head, and um, you know <laughs> there's quite a bit to choose from, like uh, Ryan, you did um, line try, which is super cool.
2: I did so the funny thing is you're not leaving the the scope of the book though okay, that, that was actually a thing for the book, so um, what I found with a lot of these recipes was it was just a pain in the butt. I had to make a little project just to be able to to try out some of these libraries since. You know, closure has a relatively small standard library, so a lot of things, a lot of the recipes are based on libraries out in the wild. So, we, uh, well, I guess I made this little line again plugin that you just say line try, uh, and then the name of any project dependency artifacts that you ha- that you'd like to try out. It will fetch them from for you from Clojars or a Maven repository, and then launch a REPL with those available.
0: Yeah, it's really neat. So you could say, just to use an example I'm familiar with, you could say line try. DIN, and you would be able to start hacking on the little sound library that I, that I wrote without having to do anything else. It would just be right there, and you could you know type in the examples from the readme or whatever without, without any additional setup.
2: Yeah, and when I, when I said earlier that uh, you know, I'd suggest people read the introduction, then move on to a recipe, that's actually because we talk about line try, how we're going to use it in all the recipes, and if you'd like to follow ar- uh, along, any of the recipes that you need to open up a, a REPL, you basically line try whatever the... Library is, and then the rest of the examples, uh, rest of the code in the recipe, you should be able to drop into a REPL and run.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really cool.
2: I, I don't actually know if people will use that. I wish I had some way to track if that was something people found valuable, but um, it was just one of those things I thought would be really neat to to try to push through throughout the entire book.
0: Hmm. Well, how about this? Let's uh, anybody that's listening that actually takes that approach with the book. Uh, tweet to Ryan. Ryan, maybe you can oh, mention please. your handle since I don't remember off the top of my head.
2: It's at RK Newfeld, or you could use the uh, Closure Cookbook one,
0: which is uh, just Closure Cookbook. Cool. Uh, no hyphens or anything, just all one word. Yes, and I'll check that briefly. Okay. Uh, well, we'll certainly correct that if that's not the case, and people can always find that information in the show notes. Um, so, what about you, Luke? I know you've done a bunch of stuff. We mentioned the book. What's your kind of your latest uh, side project that uh, people should know
1: about? Yeah, um, well, aside from the book, I've been working a lot on actual work, um, which unfortunately I can't talk about a lot, but we have a lot of interesting projects here at Cognitect. Um So I've been working on those. Um, I've kind of been dabbling in a bunch of different things. I did some work with uh, Bayesian networks and declarative programming using a Bayesian model. So kind of non-deterministic uh, statistical sampling of data. Um, Written in a declarative way. I don't have any products there. I haven't released any libraries, but it's something that's been occupying a lot of my headspace. Um, and recently, just since we finished the book, which is immediately before the holidays, uh, we or I've been thinking a lot about um, the new hot topic of display in the web and closure script. So, uh, pedestal, uh, React JS, uh, David Nolan's new library, OM, uh just different ways of rendering content in a nicely functional way. I think there's a gr- lot of great opportunity there. I'm no expert yet, I can't make any declarative statements, I haven't released anything yet, but that's been occupying a lot of my interest is the developments in that space, uh, just because it is developing so rapidly and I'm so excited about the things that look like they're beginning to emerge there. I'm not even sure there's anything that's you know, there yet, but I feel like for the first time in my programming career we actually have an angle of attack on uis that make them tractable as a functional programmer uh you know before every time i write a ui it kind of feels like well this is messy and i'm just going to brute force my way through it it never i was never proud of any ui code that i wrote and i feel like that might be about to change so that's something i've been doing a lot of thinking and learning and experimentation around yeah
0: there's some interesting works for sure going on there and uh i i too am Although I don't spend much time in the UI space, uh, you know, <laughs> every once in a while I wind up getting getting thrust there, like it or not, because of some project or whatever, it would be really great if there I were... You've got to show
2: things to people.
0: I know, <laughs> I know, it's a bummer. I, what, it's the codes right here, can't you see? <laughs> um, but yeah, it'd be great to have a, a solution um, that brings some of the things that I like from the... From the sort of back end uh, world into into that world, so it's it's like you. I'm excited to see some of that work going on, even though I haven't uh, really internalized any of that stuff yet. Yeah. Um. Well, cool, man. What what else? What else you guys? What else should we talk about here? What else? Anything else that like? What, let's go back to the book for a minute. Uh, any sort of standout moments for you during the 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 course of writing it, or or stuff we didn't cover that we should talk about? Hmm. Well, I'll ask this. I'll mean, oh, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah,
2: I was going to say uh, I I did want to mention that it was it was very interesting. The you, you had some very distinct types of contributors um, to the book. You'd have people that would come through and, and do a pass of typos and corrections. You'd have people that might um, you know put in one recipe, and then there was a a class of people that would come in and write ten recipes, and we like them. We like them, and they usually <laughs> well, actually I think. All of the people that wrote a ton of recipes um, wrote very good recipes that required very little work. Um, that was definitely cool to see uh, those kinds of people
0: come in and, and just just totally rock it and help us out a ton cool uh yeah it's funny it's almost like that old adage if you want to get something done, ask a busy person right <laughs> um, it's true so luke how did I'll ask you this question How did this compare this the process of writing this book compared to writing your last book, because you had a co-author on that one as well.
1: Right. So the last uh, two books I wrote actually, I wrote Practical Closure, which was uh, published by A-Press in 2010. It's an intro to closure book. And then in um, 2012, we published uh, Closure Script, Up and Running, which is kind of a pamphlet. It's only a 100-page book. Uh, Both of those I wrote with Stuart Sierra, uh, another Cognitect. And um, yeah, the process was very different for those than it was for this one. Um, Those books, Stuart and I tend to be on the same wavelength when we're writing content. So our typical workflow is that is what are the topics we need to cover? Okay, you take this pile, I'll take this pile. We write them. We do one editing pass to resolve a few differences of things we said, and we're done. Uh, This book was much more um, agile and iterative and really working closely with Ryan, really working closely with the community to... Evolve the book, uh, and it was very rewarding. Um, I, I don't think I could say which approach I prefer overall, uh, but we definitely came up with a very different product, uh, and I think yeah, both our, products uh, are worth having. <laughs>
2: our, our chapter list definitely changed. Uh, I think even within the last week or so, we were we were revising what the chapter list was to to try to make sure that there was an even fit of recipes. Um, so what do we have like, the one cop out chapter name that's general computing that is like things that we couldn't fit in a specific pile but like were really important to to cover.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and those are legitimate topics, but you know, we just didn't have enough recipes on that topic for their own chapter. Um So, yeah, it was, it was very interesting and I'm really happy with the result. Um you mentioned other projects. That I forgot to say, uh, Stuart and I are releasing, uh, it's not a full-fledged second edition, but we are releasing an updated version of ClojureScript up and running uh, probably in the next month or two. We've started working on that.
0: Oh, that's great because that, so. that's an environment that's moving very, very rapidly. So I think uh, I'm sure there are things that are from the first book that are just, that simply do not, are, are simply not true anymore simply because of the rate at
1: which that's been evolving. Yeah. Um, actually, surprisingly few that are outright wrong. Uh, some of the best ways to do things have changed. Um, I still think our book is, as far as I know, the only real resource for you know how to get started using Closure Scripts. Um, and it's still accurate in the fundamentals. But there's a lot of new interesting stuff. Uh, core Async is a big one mm-hmm. um, in the browser that we don't cover at all in that book and that really needs some coverage. Um, also, that,
2: of stuff like source maps that got added.
1: Right, source maps. Um, are very cool now. Uh, I don't know if you've used ClojureScript lately, but if you pop it open in a browser and uh, you click on, um, you know, show inspect. me the sources for this line, inspect, um, you see Closure Script code now instead of JavaScript, and you can put breakpoints in your Closure Script code, and it works, uh, which is very cool.
0: That is super cool. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, I, I have done some Closure Script, although now it was almost two years ago. Um, and I, I, you know, debugging it wasn't too bad. If you turned off the optimizations, you could generally figure out where you were pretty easily. But of course, that's not a patch on, you know, <laughs> this is the exact thing you type that is now broken. Yeah, I I find uh, it's
2: it's pretty useful just for when you're using a library like Pedestal for Pedestal app, for example. When you would hit a problem, you'd have to go and and pop through a couple layers of of just.
0: Generated JavaScript, which could be a little bit painful. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, right. If you if, right, <laughs> when I was doing it, there was a lot. There were a lot fewer libraries on which to rely, <laughs> and that's changed. So it's a good point. All right, guys. Well, what else? Anything else we should uh, we should mention? You'd like to talk about?
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, but it's. Well, uh, if
2: we're if we're if we're totally out of stuff, something I started uh, over the holiday break was I actually started doing hand tool woodworking inspired oh, yeah. by
0: Tim Ewald's talk, which I've
2: seen twice at this point, in two you, different iterations.
0: Yes, said right. So this this talk, I I was fortunate enough to. Um, so I've known Tim forever. Uh, Tim's a very close friend of mine, and and when we talk on the phone, which is you know several times a week, the topics are almost exclusively. Uh, and frankly, sometimes evenly split between uh, software and woodworking. <laughs> do you, do you so woodwork too, Craig? I would say that I, I have woodworked. But um, the realities of life lately have been that I haven't touched a tool in quite some time. Now you but.
2: built that treehouse for your kids, right? <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, that's really carpentry, not woodworking. But yes. <laughs> um, it was an uh, extensive bit of carpentry. Although we are now to the point where the kids can go up there and play And so now I might actually do some woodworking. I actually, um, while we were building this treehouse, which is quite honest, this is, uh, I'll warn you right now, Ryan, since I know you're just getting into woodworking. Um, So a really awesome tool for um, woodworking is a bit of software actually called Google SketchUp, which I'm sure you're familiar with. I've seen it, yeah. It's really great because you can build the thing that you're going to build down to the tiniest detail beforehand, which is awesome because, you know, Woodworking actually is similar to software in a lot of ways, some of which Tim touches on in his talk, which is excellent. I mean, it was I, – I normally would not say something is the best whatever, um, but I have to say in my opinion it was the best talk at the closure Conj. And that is all the more amazing because one of the other talks was Russ's, uh, mm-hmm. not to mention many of the other talks which were also excellent um, anyway, so Tim was great. Gave a great talk. Drew uh, analogies between woodworking and software, which I think are fantastic. Um, but so you've got this piece of software, Google SketchUp. It's a three D modeling tool. It's free. It's great. It's really good for woodworking. The problem I had, and something you should watch out for, is that it is very easy, uh, so easy to make something in Google SketchUp that you don't necessarily realize that you have suddenly designed something down to the last board that is in fact a 12 by 12 platform 14 feet in the air and then you're up there swinging a hammer right going oh my god this thing is wobbling it's like i'm up here on a four strands of spaghetti right now um you know because it wasn't stable while i was building it so uh you got to watch out because it's really easy to kind of um get very excited and design something that you, you then have to build. and <laughs> um, You know, that, that has its own challenges. I mean, you know, oh, look at this awesome uh, bedroom set I built. Oh, it doesn't fit through the door to the shop. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I, I have done uh, some woodworking. Uh, uh, I am taking Tim's advice to heart and thinking about... You, you're doing the hand tool stuff? I might, you know, because one of the things that happened in the course of building the treehouse, um, and I promise I'll stop after this story, is... <laughs> that um, a bit of the tree broke off during a big storm and came crashing down. And it um, it missed the nearly completed treehouse by no more than six inches. I mean, if you drew a line from the broken branch in the tree to the ground, it actually goes through the treehouse. So it must have somehow twisted in the air on its way down. <laughs> um, but I kept that branch. I cut it up and I have the, the sliced up um, proto boards in my shop right now. Mm-hmm. And I would actually love to take one or both of my daughters and take that piece of the tree that their treehouse is in and use it to make kid-sized furniture for the treehouse from the tree in which it's built. That'd be really cool. Yeah. So I'd love to get back into it, and that's one of the projects I have in mind. Anyway, you were saying you're woodworking, which, you know, let's let's hear Uh, more I I
2: started out doing that. Well, so before the break, actually, uh, I talked with Tim a bunch about uh, just kind of getting a minimal set of, of tools going, and my idea was that I would use uh, some of the, a little bit of the book money to get that going. Turns out I used most of the book money to get that going. <laughs> um, to buy actual good quality hand tools is uh, like astronomically expensive. So I had a lot of fun actually. I got uh, the new traditional woodworker that Tim suggested I got uh, I got for Christmas as well as hand tools, their ways, and their working. Uh, went over those for a while on the holiday break and then kind of had a plan in mind. I'm, I'm building a saw bench right now, uh, basically bootstrapping a little work. Workstation for myself, and I I boiled it down to you know I could buy these this you know, very large set of minimal amount of tools and and start <laughs> from there, and it's been very enjoyable. I I take my uh, my dog out to the shop that we we keep at at a friend's house uh, over the weekend, and basically he's the shop dog, and you know I just go to work. It's fun.
0: Yeah, it's great, especially with hand tools, since you know y- your typical dog is not a big fan of the sound of a you know, bandsaw or a table saw or whatever, so that's got to be a more pleasant experience for your dog than would otherwise be the case.
2: Well, I was actually really shocked. That, um, he's an Australian Shepherd, so he's a, a working dog, but I was surprised how tired he was from sitting around all day. <laughs> like He fell asleep on the way home in the car. My dog has never fallen asleep in the car. Like I don't know why he was tired from doing that.
0: Uh, the other thing I'll comment on is that uh, it's very appropriate that you are uh, you started out by building a saw bench because if you're anything like me, you will discover that a substantial portion of your shop time is about working on things for the shop, right? Yes. Which which is another analogy to software because you know what do we love to build? You know things like line try that aren't really yeah. about creating end products but about creating tools that allow us to create end products. So it's very meta in that way too.
2: Well, yeah. You know, I went through. I went through the the new traditional woodworker the first time. And I was like, ah, I don't want to build all these little projects. I don't need these. And then, you know, then I'm basically trying to make this this crap work on this workbench with right. with like not a good vice. And I have a couple clamps, and it's a huge pain in the butt. And I go back through the book again. and I go, Oh, I want those. I want all those things. It's going to tell me to build so yeah. bad.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. All right. How about you, Luke? Any uh, anything to throw in at the end here?
1: Uh not particularly. Okay. I'm well, just. A lot of different projects, um, following a lot of different tech. So there's so much going on in the closure space right now. It just feels like it's exploding. Yeah. And uh, I'm kind of taking some time after the book just to try to catch up with it all.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, that's great. I know that uh, the result of that will be something that will be uh, worthwhile uh, for about uh, worthwhile to talk about on the podcast. And we will certainly have you back and have Ryan back either to talk about the second edition jointly or to talk about the various cool things that you will assuredly have done in the meantime. Thank um, you. But of course, uh, Luke, you and I um, share a fair amount of uh, taste in music, um, and so we have come to the portion of the show where it is your turn to pick a song, and I am, I am uh, keenly interested in what you have chosen to play
1: uh, to end the show. Okay, well, I'll say the name of the song, uh, but I have to give a disclaimer first, um, which will also tell you a lot about the song. Um, because I don't know how it's pronounced because I don't speak Old Norse. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the song is, uh, I believe it's Ewerun by Falkenbach on their ASA record, which came out last year. And this is kind of uh, proto-folk metal. Uh, it's very interesting stuff. Uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to it, Craig. Uh, I find it very interesting. Hopefully it will be you know, ramping up as we speak now. That sounds and, 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 so good. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, we can't
0: actually hear it yet. But uh, no, I'm super looking forward to it. I mean, like I say, you and I share a, a fair, our overlap in music taste is is pretty good. We both generally prefer metal uh, uh, of the type that is commonly uh, done in the kind of the Scandinavian Northern European era, although not exclusively in either of our cases, but uh, right. uh, yeah, it's it's, it's it's fun stuff. Uh, you and I have actually been to a Amon Marth concert together, which was, uh, which was a boatload of fun. Yeah. Um, and I think you're going to another one again here pretty soon, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, that's the, the hope. Um, I have to see if I can make all the logistics work cause it's a couple hours away. But uh, there's one thing about living in Durham is there's not uh, a lot of metal scene around here. Uh, there's a lot that is a three-hour drive from here. But not a lot right here. So you actually live in a great area for it. Uh, right? Yeah, actually, it
0: is good, and I don't take it anything like the advantage of it that I should. You know, it's you know the concerts start at 10 o'clock at night, and I'm like, okay, the kids got to go to <laughs> school in the morning. I really would love to see Camelot, but maybe I'll take a pass on this one. Okay. Um, anyway, well, thanks a lot, guys, uh, for coming on the show. It Was super interesting to talk to you to hear about all the things you've been working on, especially about the book, which I am absolutely looking forward to checking out i mean obviously it's available right now for people to take a look at um yeah, the the full uh the full list of recipes is available in early access yeah so people should definitely check that out and pick up a paper copy of the book if that's uh their preferred way of consuming um uh the the written word um certainly be uh, be i'm sure you guys would not mind if they did that uh nope but uh, th- thanks again for taking the time to come on the show thank you thank you luke Thank you Ryan. Thanks Greg. Thank and uh everyone else, thanks for listening. This has been the CogniCast. You have been listening to the CogniCast. The CogniCast is a production of Cognitech Inc, whom you can find on the web at cognitech.com and on Twitter at cognitech. Our guests today were Ryan Neufeld on Twitter at RK Neufeld, R-K-N-E-U-F-E-L-D, and Luke Vanderhart on Twitter at L-E Vanderhart, L-E-V-A-N-D-E-R-H-A-R-T. The CogniCast is produced with help from Alex Miller, Alex War, Damian Mack, David Shulinski, Jamie Kite, Justin Gatlin, Kelly Ross, Lake Denman, Luke Vanderhart, Lynn Grogan, Mark Phillips, Russ Olson, Ryan Neufeld, Sam Mumbuck, and Stuart Sierra. Episode cover art is by Michael Parenteau. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening.